Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. The Flushing Girl from Flushing. The nanny named Fran. Oh, Mr. Sheffield. Uh, uh, Miss Fine. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Oh, Mr. Sheffield, a podcast about the 90s hits of Calm the Nanny. This is season two of the show, and we're also covering season two of The Nanny, episode seven, A Star is Unborn. I am Shondi Pasquale, here with... Toria Sheffield. Whoa, Toria Sheffield in the flesh. No, because we're doing this over uh, Zoom. Oh, fair. Okay. <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> Fleshless uh, Toria, wow. Um, totally fleshless. Um, my first note, I just have to say, in all caps, is HBO Max has still not corrected the order of these episodes. This yeah. is listed as the season one finale, yeah. which is crazy because it's the seventh episode of the second season. And yeah, I'm just, so I'm just putting it out there. Yeah, no, so if you're confused at all, we are right. HBO Max is wrong. This is season two, episode seven, episode Stars Unborn. It is directed by the great Gail Mancuso and written by Pamela Eels and Sally Lapidus. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've written a bunch of good episodes in the past. So, um, And this is the episode where Fran gets cast in a Broadway production. Oh, sorry, an off-Broadway off production, Broadway. but a very legitimate one um, yes. of Romeo and Juliet. Yes. Um, and I mean, whatever. Everyone's seen the episode. It really ends up being a low key uh, remake of the movie The Producers. Yes, yes, yes. Uh huh. That's um, what this really, I, when we got to that scene, I was like, oh, this is just The Producers. That's, I know. I have a, I, my note literally goes, and in a very, pr- the producers like twist. <laughs> We're yeah. fine, dot, dot, dot. But my first note on this, um, and Sean and I were talking a little bit about this before we started recording because I, I loved this episode and he was kind of like, oh, it was, it was cute. But I loved it because I thought it was fantastic culture clash um, because sure. we we get the um, British characters on the show just nerding out so much over Shakespeare. And then we get to see that against Fran who literally <laughs> is, is trying to like, you know, recite these lines and she has no idea what she's saying, utterly confused. And then we get like their abject horror at how awful she is at Shakespeare, which yeah. which I really enjoyed. And really but, the key to performing Shakespeare is you have to have a deep understanding of the words because the words are so archaic and because the phrasing is so, uh, you know, because it, it uses iambic pentameter. Like if you don't really understand the context behind every single word, then it does seem like gibberish. Mm-hmm. And you have no idea how to put the correct emotion behind the correct words. You end up just like reading words. Um, and that's what, that's what Fran does. Yeah. And, well, I also really enjoyed it because, you know, almost anybody who is a working actor and gets cast on a sitcom, like, or many of them have very formal training as actors. So for me, there was some fun in seeing some of these actors get to flex a muscle that they probably never thought they were going to 
get to flex on like us, you know, 8 p.m. American sitcom. Like, I think that um, Daniel Davies and Charles Shaughnessy are just like digging in. And I'm like, oh, I bet they love this. Um, But so in terms of what actually happens in this episode, uh, we start at the mansion and um, Mr. Sheffield and Cece are talking to this very big time, like avant-garde director named Philippe. And um, it's revealed that Philippe is going to do, um, he's going to do a a Romeo and Juliet off-Broadway show where he has changed the ending to make it happy. So basically we like, he's like, yes, we're going to follow Romeo and Juliet up into heaven. Um, He's (laughs) Mr. Sheffield. He literally looks like just horrified. And he's like, you're rewriting Shakespeare. And I think Philippe's exact line was like, no, no, we're not rewriting. We're just, we're just adding some scenes and taking out some we don't. Uh, No, we're just adding some scenes we like and taking out some we don't, which is like the um, cliche, perfect Hollywood talk way of saying we're rewriting, which is like we're taking out a bunch and we're putting a bunch in. Um, And yes, the the very English Mr. Sheffield really doesn't want anything to do with this off-Broadway production. But um, basically, while in conversation, Philippe says something like, ah, yes, and I'm looking for an unknown to play my cat, to play my Romeo and Juliet. You know, I want people who, who... have a distinct voice. And no sooner does he say that, does Fran come running down the stairs while yelling up the stairs, um, it's in the medicine cabinet between the corn pads and the monastat seven. <laughs> and, and then she gets to the bottom of the stairs. He looks at her and he's like, I've found my Juliet. <laughs> and that's like the big setup for the whole episode. Um, uh, you know, it happens even before the opening credits. And Philippe, we should just quickly note, is played by the great Richard Portnow, who he's one of those actors that you're like, I know that guy when you see him Mm -hmm. Uh, because he's in everything. I mean, the guy has an IMDb page that goes on and on and on. He's worked consistently since 1980, all the way to like. Like a lot of the times I feel like we get actors on this show who kind of petered out in like the, you know, the early 2000s. I mean, this mm-hmm. guy, this guy's got one, two, three, four, six things in pre-production wow. that he's assigned to. Um, he's probably most recognizable from The Sopranos. He was on The Sopranos for mm-hmm. years and years and years. He was a, 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 a Tony's attorney. Yeah. Um, and and then kind of ironically, since this is a sort of a like homage to the producers, he has a Mel Brooks vibe. Yeah, um, he does. And so it's, it works out really well. Um, and then so the B-plot m- and much less significant thing going on during this episode is Maggie really, really wants to go to this party, this weekend party in the Hamptons <laughs> where there's not going to be any parents. Yep. And she's like trying to kind of scheme how she's going to. Uh, get her father's approval. And I just have this note where I was like, did you have stuff like this happening in high school? Um, Because I feel like stuff like this was happening. But again, I went to this like private prep school in DC um, and there was this pretty big class divide there. And I kind of considered that like the rich kid stuff (laughs) like 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 truly it did happen but with this sort of like culture that I wasn't a part of um and that me and my parents and my my friend's parents would have just like never allowed us to do something like that um yeah I mean we didn't have like 
I grew up in Florida. There was no like Hamptons. <laughs> say no more. Say no more. <laughs> <laughs> like there wasn't. There wasn't like a Hamptons equivalent in Florida. Of Sean's like, teacher was an alligator. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, that's true. That's true. My teacher was an alligator. <laughs> How did you know? <laughs> K, K through five alligator. But yeah, I mean, you know, th- this wasn't. There wasn't like a Hamptons equivalent in Florida, really of like a place where like we all want to go that's like too expensive to for us to afford to be able to go that just didn't exist really but so we then you know so so the next morning at breakfast Fran's not 100% sure if she's going to take this quote unquote opportunity but it becomes very very clear that Mr. Sheffield does not think she has talent and thinks that if she takes a role, this is going to be a humiliating experience. And she is so offended by that, that she's like, oh no, like I'm doing it and you'll see. So she accepts the role. And then we get this really, for me, at least really enjoyable sequence where she is rehearsing and she <laughs> asks, she's at the house, like practicing her yeah. lines. And she asks first Niles to be her scene partner. And he's just like chewing up the scenery because he's, he's just, you know, running with this and relishing um, his own line. So she's like, get out of here, get out of here. I think at one point she's like, if you put an apple in his mouth, we could roast him at a luau, meaning like he's too much of a ham. (laughs) And uh, so she's like, Mr. Sheffield, can you help me? And he's like, and and at first um, Cece's like, I'm getting out of here because she like thinks it's going to be such a just grating experience to listen to Fran rehearse. But then (laughs) Mr. Sheffield goes, ah, yes, Miss Fine. I'll be the Romeo to your Juliet. And then Cece's like, wait a second, I'm actually staying because she becomes, you know, super jealous and and wants to just like oversee this process. So then we have this very, you know, adorable rom-com-esque scene where um, Mr. Sheffield is is coaching Fran in her Juliet. And he's like, well, you know, let's, let's get in our physical space. And so he like positions her up on the stairwell so that she can be on the balcony and, you know, yelling to her Romeo. And then he literally like climbs up onto it so that he can, you know, get inches from her face. And then in this very, you know, professional, um, <laughs> glorious Shakespearean way, you know, recites these beautiful words to her and their, yeah. you know, their faces get closer and closer. And then they share a kiss as it they is. actually, yeah, yeah. And as, as Romeo and Juliet actually do in that scene. And it is like, a heated kiss like and Fran is very clearly getting swept away by you know this this handsome man saying these beautiful words to her and she and then afterwards she she literally as she walks down the stairs stumbles a little because she's so like what is it um and I guess that's Evelyn is sort of choked up she's not choked up she's just like woozy um yeah, she's like, she's got like sea legs. Like mm-hmm. her legs get all wobbly and she's like, ooh, wah, wah, wee, wah. Yeah, and Cece keeps being like, um, I'd take this <laughs> this directing in a different direction. I, I think people are tired of the romance of this play. <laughs> like she's trying so desperately to like not have them be romantic together. And that is the second time they have kissed in the series. And it this was a, this was a very romantic kiss. The first one was a little bit more of an excited kiss, but this was a... You know, I mean, they had heat. They, they keep, uh-huh. The kiss had heat for sure. Um, and and I, I don't think it starts that way. Like, I think he's, I think, well, at least not for Mr. Sheffield. I think he's saying the lines and then she, you can sort of see Fran kind of slowly like falling, turning to mush. 
mm-hmm. as he's like reciting these very romantic lines, like looking directly in her eyes. And then they sort of go in for the kiss. And then like, yeah, it seems like they both kind of, cause even he gets like all like blushy and, mm-hmm. and, and yeah. heated. It's a moment. Like they, they very much share a moment. Um, and so I thought it was overall a very, um, a delightful scene and a really creative way to get them in that situation. Um, that also, you know, serves a lot of comedic beats as well. What happens is, so Fran, um, you know, is spending a lot of her time off rehearsing and the, the house starts to become like increasingly in shambles or like the household. Oh yeah. So, um, you know, like the living room's a total mess. The kids aren't getting to bed on time. And Mr. Sheffield's like, where is Miss Fine? You know, she should have been home hours ago. And so she comes in and first of all, the dinner that Niles has kept warm for her is now gone bad. And Niles is like, you couldn't have called. He like runs out. (laughs) And then, um, Mr. Sheffield says something, you know, he says something very similar, like, like someone's been out late and she's like, gosh, are you two on the same cycle? (laughs) Which is another period joke, (laughs) which we know you did not like last week, but basically, um, you know, she's like, you know, I'm, I'm gone. Um, I'm stumbling. I'm stumbling because we're doing this earlier than usual, which was my idea, but I'm clearly (laughs) not awake yet. Um, but basically they get in this very, um, husband wife like beleaguered wife fight where mr sheffield's like you know like why were you out so late and she's like well i was at rehearsal and he's like i called rehearsal ended at eight and she's like well i went out with some of you know the cast and he's basically like well i'm here slaving away and you know the house is in shambles and um they just have this very husband wife fight but where um in certain ways he's the stereotypical wife who's jealous and in certain ways she is you know the wife who finally has sort of like found her thing and isn't home as much and the husband is is getting really um like falling apart over it yes yes because at one point um she's like oh all you want me to do is take care of these kids (laughs) and he very reasonably yells well you are the nanny and she's like and that's all you want me to be (laughs) Um, she also and- has a great line where she goes it wasn't my decision to have three children <laughs> yes, yes. and it kind of culminates with her yelling that oh no because then she's like you're just jealous because Philippe recognized my talent when it was right under your nose and you're just mad at yourself yeah. and he's like oh that's preposterous like you don't have any talent and she's like oh, I'm staying at my mother's and he's like don't bother I'm sleeping on the couch which like doesn't even make sense because they don't even share a bedroom but they just get so lost in their own couple's fight that they lose all sense of like context um, and then Niles comes in and watches it unfold and they both run out in opposite directions and he goes it's it's always the butler who suffers <laughs> <laughs> but so they're in a fight and they're not talking well, you, you also mm-hmm. missed you also the kids don't really get much to do in this episode in fact there's a whole scene at the dinner table uh where the kids literally only maggie talks the other ones are there they say nothing and i was like uh, that, that was a bit of boring day uh, but then you get this great scene. It's it's sort of at the top of the scene of Mr. Sheffield trying to like parent and and Fran coming home late, where where Gracie and Brighton are like running around like maniacs, like chasing each other around the room, and um, and Brighton is like 
is like, oh, I'm a monster, I'm gonna get you. <laughs> and Gracie's like, I'm not scared of monsters. And then he goes, Well, I'm a CC monster and I'm gonna marry your dad and send you and send you to boarding school. And she goes, No. She screams <laughs> in terror and runs in the opposite direction. And I do I really got a kick out of the fact that the, even the children are like terrified of CC ending up in their lives in any kind of permanent authoritative way (laughs) (laughs) i loved it i love that scene i love that line so much yeah i'm a monster okay so then yes mr sheffield and fran have this huge blowout um and the next day cc excitedly comes running into mr sheffield's office and she reveals that she found out that philippe wants this show to tank because he basically needs a tax write-off and that's why he cast fran yeah and, and again if you're if you're not familiar with the producers this is the part where it literally just becomes the plot of the producers which mm-hmm. the whole plot the whole plot of that movie is these two producers that intentionally make like the worst show of all time with the hopes that it will tank when it premieres and then they collect the insurance Yes, um, and that show is the fake show in that real show is famously called Springtime for Hitler. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. uh, if you haven't seen the producers, uh, immediately stop what you're doing and see the producers. It's so good. <laughs> yeah. Um, and um, so, you know, at first, Mr. Sheffield is delighted by this news because he feels very vindicated. He's like, yes, he's like, I knew she didn't have talent. Like, I knew I wasn't crazy. But then it suddenly dawns on him what this is going to mean for her. And he's basically like, oh, no, like, if we tell her, she's going to be crushed. But if we don't tell her, she's going to be humiliated. And Stacey's like, yes, it's a win-win. <laughs> but, but Mr. Sheffield's clearly, you know, even though he's technically in a fight with her, we, he's he's actually like instantly sort of become sobered up about this and he's no longer, you know, angry at her. He's actually very conflicted and, and feels terrible for her. Um, and then we cut to this amazing uh, sequence that has a lot of physical comedy where um, we see Fran at the actual rehearsal and they're specifically rehearsing Romeo and Juliet's death scene. And she, they just let Fran go, 110 percent you know um she is like it's the scene where she wakes up and romeo's just killed himself and she's supposed to stab stab herself with the dagger and she's it's so lucille ball it's like she's like we should we should also note um peter mark jacobson co-creator of the show and at this time friend's husband Mm -hmm. um real life friend's husband uh plays romeo in this scene um and and it does a great job, honestly. Like I was like, oh, he's a good actor. Like he he gets some really funny lines. He delivers them like really well, um, and then yes. like and then does a good job of seeming like a serious actor who is like truly playing the Romeo part. Like he 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 does like a good performance as he like you know drinks the poison and like dies across her, um, and then yeah, and then Fran gets up and just like I mean, talk about ham. Like just hams it up, and it's great. It's such a great. She's like, ooh, eh, like like dancing, like you know, sort of like stumbling back and forth across the stage as she like very slowly, arduously dies uh, from this self inflicted stab wound in like the cheesiest possible manner. We also have this very, um, you know, New York theatery beat with. Peter Mark Jacobson, who's playing Romeo, where at one point he's off to the side watching Fran with this other actress. And this actress is like, 
I don't get it. Like, how could she get cast as Juliet? And Romeo is like, well, you know, you should have slept with the director. And she's like, I did. And I only got two lines, which is already like kind of a dark joke. And then, but then he goes, well, I slept with him and I got Romeo. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, and I, later that comes, that will come back around because, um, so what ends up happening is Mr. Sheffield comes to visit her on set and everyone is like completely, you know, going gaga over the fact that Maxwell Sheffield, this big time producer is there and all the actors are kind of surrounding him. And then it's clear he's there to see Fran. And that same actress from earlier goes, Oh, she's sleeping with everyone. And then Romeo slash Peter Mark Jacobson goes, yeah, pretty, pretty soon she'll have her own sitcom, (laughs) which is like a very meta joke. Super Um, meta joke, but like the audience loved it. Love yes. the studio audience are like, Wah! <laughs> <laughs> very good. Good joke. Um, good joke. Solid joke. And, yeah, good joke. And then, um, so yes, Mr. Sheffield comes to set, and he basically, you know, takes Fran aside and he apologizes for the things he said to her during their fight, and then he's about to tell her, you know, the the reality of what's happening with this play. And he's clearly dreading it because he doesn't want to break her heart. But she's like, no, no, no. I already know what you're going to say. And he's like, you do? And she's like, yeah, you're going to say that, you know, the kids really need me and the mansion's a mess. And, and you know, I don't really belong in this, you know, fancy theater environment anyway. And, you know, you're right. Um, and he's like, I am? And she's like, yes, you are. And she's like, I, you know, I just hope Philippe's not too disappointed. So it, it were resolves itself in, you know, a, a very neat little way where he doesn't even have to break her heart. And she's decided on her own that this really isn't for her anyway. Um, she also says, and between you and me, Philippe is not the greatest director. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, you know, she, we, we, uh, no, we get to wrap that up in a nice little way. And so that's the episode. I feel yeah. like we can move on to our segments. Let's do it. Segments. Segments. And now, segments. So, segments. Yeah, no, I think we should move on to segments. I to say we can move on to our segments. And now, segments. Segments uh, with Sean and Toria. <laughs> um, all right. Favorite lines and moments. Uh, <laughs> all right. Well, I mean, there is... <laughs> There's a line, okay, so early on, um, Niles is explaining how he can help Fran rehearse for this because he played, <clears throat> what's the character's name that he played in? in he, he played the Baroness in The, the Bar- Sound of yeah. Music. He played the Baroness in The Sound of Music because he went to an all-boys school. Um, and and then Fran has a side where she goes, wow, you British guys really know how to play women, <laughs> which <laughs> it just got a laugh out of me. Um, I also really liked the I'm a CC monster uh, line. I thought that was um, su- su- just such a good, it just, I, it really, it gives you insight into the kids you haven't really had yet. And it gives you insight into their relationship with CC, which yeah. is as damaged as you would imagine it is. It would be, <laughs> uh, which is just that they're like terrified that their dad might marry this like, basically like like heartless like cruel woman um i thought that was great and then like honestly the entire exchange between fran and mr sheffield uh in their in their sort of like um fox like uh you know like married couple wife, argument yes. yeah i thought all of, all of those lines were just like winners I was, like, yeah i mean at one point he's clearly um 
pouting so much that she worked late that he throws a stuffed animal at her back because, you know, and then he's like, sorry, like missed as if he was trying to toss it into a bin. And then she just hurls something at him like very directly. And she's like, oh, me too. (laughs) They're literally throwing stuff at each other. Um, Um, Fran also has a great line that I don't know if you caught the the reference, but it's after she's like, it's like later on after she's worn the harness and been like swung around the theater and stuff. She sits down and she's like, man, she's like, those harnesses really hurt. That Mary Marston must have had, that Mary Martin must have had a hide like leather. And like, <laughs> yes, yes. Like, so Mary Martin played Peter Pan, very famously. Mary Martin was this uh, Broadway actress. She played Peter Pan in the Peter Pan, um, in the Broadway version of Peter Pan. Bar- Peter Pan and is often played by a woman, I think, just because. She plays uh, a little boy too, she's a little usually. Boy. Yeah, um, yeah. It, it would just honestly be, it'd be so off putting for a grown man to play a little, the little boy part. Yes. Um, yes. That's what but, um, that also, you know, if you were, if you were a child of the 80s or early 90s, there was famously a VHS tape made of that yeah. show that well, like it was, every it kid was had. broadcast on NBC or CBS or ABC, like broadcast this like taped theatrical version of Mary Martin's Peter Pan. And it was yes. like for a long time the definitive like staged version of Peter Pan was Mary Martin's performance. So this dun, was dun, a dun, very dun, dun, dun. this was a very relevant um, very relevant reference at the time uh, that that it, and I watched it I was like man I, that that's a reference that I don't know that anyone would even get. Oh anymore. God, I guess that shows how out of touch I am because I instantly got it and it didn't even occur to me that. That kids would, God, that's sad. That dates, I guess that dates us. But um, I just remember being a small child and somebody saying, like, some adult being like, oh, yes, well, you know, but that that is a woman. Like, that is a grown woman. And I was like, shut the front door. I had the same reaction. What do you mean? That's a little boy. (laughs) (laughs) That's Peter Pan. One of my favorite lines was, so when Cece, you know, comes in to reveal the news that Philippe wants this play to fail, she comes running in and she's like, I just heard the most delicious news. And then Niles goes, well, why don't you run off, make a friend and tell them all about it? <laughs> <laughs> like, it was just so, it was like, get out of here. Nobody cares. We're not your friends. Yeah. There's um, also Mac, Maxwell Sheffield gets a really good line. He doesn't usually get like zingers. Um, but it's when he, it's when, it's when Maggie's asking him if she can go away and she's like, you know, please like, tell me why I can't go. And he's like, I won't let you go. You're too young. It's this, it's that. And she goes up. Well, by the time Juliet was my aunt, she had already gotten married, had sex and died. And he goes, well, now you see what happens when you don't listen to your father, which was <laughs> excellent. It was an excellent comeback to that line. Yes. He also, there's a later exchange that's pretty similar where I was just like, wow, touche, Mr. Sheffield, because um, she says something like, give me one good reason why I can't go. And he goes, because I won't let you and walks out (laughs) like, ooh, power move, but from dad. Um, And the last thing that I have flagged is um, when Fran is on set. And by the way, they make it very known that all of these actors and actresses are very much giving her the cold shoulder. Like they are not happy that she got the lead. Um, but so she sits next to actually the woman that had mentioned that she slept with the director and only got two lines. But so Fran's like, wait a second. Like, I know you from somewhere. And the woman like looks very pleased and a little smug. And she's like, well, I have done six Broadway shows and several national tours. And then Fran goes, no, no. 
it was a commercial. You're the less than fresh girl, <laughs> which, which I Googled it. Was an actual douche commercial. Yeah, it was. Did you remember that? Oh, I remember I, that. I think it was a little boring, but you know what? The I commercial went, the girl would go, did you ever get that not so fresh feeling? <laughs> and then they like the whole commercial was just about like douching. Um, well, you know what though? I looked up some of the old commercials. I could not verify it, but this actress might have legitimately been in a less than fresh commercial. Yeah, I, I, they look very similar. Their voices were very similar. Um, she she would have been a little younger though, um, so that would have been a great That's joke. That's pretty great. Yeah, yeah. Regardless, very funny joke. Um, that you know, and the thing is, it's also it rings very true to New York acting, where you could be an incredible, you know, Shakespearean performer or been in all of these really um, high profile theatrical performances that nobody outside that community would know about, but they will know you from like the one humiliating, you know, hemorrhoid commercial or something you did. Um, That's the whole thing thing with being on Broadway, right? Is it's like, yes, it's like a huge deal to get on Broadway, but like only people that go see Broadway shows knows who's on Broadway. Okay. So for nanny trivia, um, I randomly, while perusing the web, found this 20-minute documentary that I, I think must have been part of a nanny box set special or something like that. It's called Creating the Nanny. It actually has Fran Drescher and Peter Mark Jacobson um, recounting the casting process for casting their show um, and kind of like talking about each role and what they really wanted and the kind of when they knew they found it in specific actors. And then it would sometimes cut to those actors recounting their experience. And one of the most interesting little fun facts that I found is so um, Madeline Zima, who plays little Gracie, um, you'll remember that we we were kind of we were very unsure about her performance in the pilot. We were like, she kind of is like doing this thing. You know, she has this line where she's like, you have no idea how complicated I am. And we were like, oh, like that's kind of weird for a kid. We're kind of glad she moved away from that. Well, she actually says that um, like the actress who's, you know, about 16 or 17 during this um, little documentary, she's like, oh yeah. So when I went into my audition to play Gracie, my mother told me to act like Tallulah Bankhead and Betty Davis or Bette Davis. Oh, sorry. Oh, that makes sense. And she goes, so I, I would watch them and I would lower my voice <laughs> and I, wow. I was delivering my lines like that. And, and that actually, I guess, translated well in an audition because they were probably looking for a little girl with some gravitas, you know? And so when you rewatch that pilot and you have no idea how complicated I am, you're like, oh yeah, it's Bette Davis. <laughs> like, it, it just like uh, made so much more sense. It's like clicked. Yeah. That, that uh, does, yeah. I mean, that is exactly what she sounds like. That's incredible. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Um, what's this INBD update? So, okay. <laughs> have you got, have you gotten into some really um, vitriolic just, war with someone? Yeah, it's just like, it's just like, so IMDB has a section goofs, right? Which is usually like saved for like, and like a screw up, you know, like something mm-hmm. the show got wrong or like a cast member, you know, a crew member visible in the background of a shot mm-hmm. or, or like you notice, know, you know, she exited stage left, but in the next room comes in, you the, know, the, the other door. Uh, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Or famously, you know, they left a water bottle on a table during a game of Thrones episode, like stuff like that. Right. <clears throat> so in this uh, episode's goofs section, it has this whole paragraph about how, you know, 
when Fran is swinging around and everyone breaks for lunch and she calls out, wherefore art thou people? Um, she actually gets it wrong because wherefore, I mean, wherefore art thou means why, not where. And so she's actually asking, why are you people instead of where are you? And like, and then they add, however, Fran doesn't have any higher education. So more than likely wouldn't know this. Um, and then, and like, so that's bad enough, but then, someone has like reframed that whole thing. And so the, the section that this is placed in is now titled incorrectly regarded as goofs because clearly someone was like, that's not a goof. It's just a funny line. (laughs) Like she's literally just like flying in the air and she's like, where for art thou? Because it's like funny and a famous line from the play and not because she's like literally trying to ask, where are you people? Uh, So again, I don't know what's going on with IMDb, but like everyone has to calm down. <laughs> it is the height of people being as annoying as humanly possible. It, it it also feels like it's like wow, cool flex dude who's showing how smart they are by writing on IMDb that this character on this ninety TV show may be misquoted Shakespeare. Like we get it, you're smart. <laughs> Yeah, well, it's one of those things, and I think we, you know, we we encountered a lot in geek fandom culture um, and comic book culture where it's like, wow, all you've done is revealed that you are a deeply insecure person. (laughs) Yeah, because you needed to feel good about yourself by showing all of us that you knew this and truly – you've just proven yourself to be insufferable and, <laughs> not, and Hey, really not chill. <laughs> like, uh, and the, but that's why I say, that's why my favorite type of person is just a, just a chill, knowledgeable person <laughs> where, um, so but, did we have any, um, did we have any Yiddish? This episode? So, I didn't catch any Yiddish. I didn't clock any Yiddish. So yeah. what I did was I just, you know, this is almost an extension of Nanny Trivia where I just, you know, I, I was wondering, like, does Yiddish theater exist? You know, this was a very theater-centric Ooh. episode, and I, I don't really know. So I looked it into into it, and it really is a thing. It says uh, from wow. probably Wikipedia, honestly, is where I got this. But, um, you know, it says Yiddish theater consists of plays written and performed primarily by Jews in Yiddish, the language of the Central European Ashkenazi Jewish community. Um, the range of Yiddish theater is broad, operetta, musical comedy, satire, melodrama. And it says, uh, it was even some modernist plays. Um, it says, at its height, its geographical scope was comparably broad. From the late 19th century until just before World War II, professional Yiddish theater could be found throughout the heavily Jewish areas of Eastern and East Central Europe. Oh, but what, also- happened, what happened post-World War II? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's happened- weird. I wonder why <laughs> that stopped during World War II. <laughs> um, but it could also huh. be found. So weird. It could also be found in Berlin. London, Paris, Buenos Aires, and New York City. Um, Themes such as immigration, poverty, integration, and strong ancestral ties can be found in many Yiddish theater productions. Um, And it did exist before the late 19th century, but it just really hit its peak around then to, again, um, to whatever happened in 1945. Hmm, Cut off at the knees, right? (laughs) World War II, strange. Um, That's kind of cool, though, that there was Yiddish theater. That's that's actually pretty awesome. Makes me want to go dive into that a little bit. And then for the Fran or the Cece, hmm. I I don't think either of us are Cece's in this episode. 
I, I relate to Fran in that um, one of my greatest sadnesses in life is that I'm terrible on camera and as a performer, mm. which is maybe a sadness of a lot of people who like to write, which is like you wish it could, you could translate, but I don't have that it factor. But I, mm. but I know it. I know it. So maybe I'm the CC. Well, and I, I, I related to Fran in this episode because I'm a ham, baby. <laughs> Put me up on a harness and swing me around. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> if someone gave you the opportunity to do the death scene the way she did it, my God. Um, uh, I think that's an episode of uh, the Sheffield podcast. Uh, right? I mean, we didn't miss anything. This was, I'm, I would say overall, this was like a um, very cute episode, uh, very light on plot, you know. Not a lot. Yeah. Not a lot happens in this episode. The B plot is almost non-existent. I I think it was. I think a lot happened. Fran, you know, she has this big brush with fame that doesn't pan out, and then you know we have a kiss with Mister Sheffield, and um, it was enjoyable. I mean, we certainly. I it was a, for a simple episode. We talked for almost an hour, which is I know, which is really gonna come back to haunt us in editing. It sure will. <laughs> Um, if you like what we have to say, or if you don't like what we have to say, you know, that's also valid. Uh, you can find us online at, Oh, Mr. Chef pod. That's with two F's. Uh, we're on Instagram. We're on Twitter. You can look for, uh, Oh, Mr. Sheffield podcast on Facebook to find us there. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Sean Wrights and Toria, where can people find you online? Instagram, uh, Toria Sheffy, two F's and a Y. And, you know, if you like the show, like, subscribe, leave a, leave a comment and, and a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. That really helps other people find the show. And it validates me and Toria and makes us feel good mm, about ourselves. So good. Just so, so good. That's right. Um, <laughs> and, yeah, that's, that's the episode. Join us next week uh, as we talk more about The <laughs> Nanny starring Fran Drescher, the hit sitcom from the 90s. And that's it. <gasps> Goodbye. The Flushing Girl from Flushing. Name Fran. Oh, Mr. Sheffield. Uh, uh, Miss Vine. <laughs>